0: Hi, I'm John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the NAFI Moore Right rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today, I'm just going to say that uh, this podcast is brought to you by... NAFI's PDC or Professional Development Center. Now, if you're not familiar with what the PDC is, it is the NAFI tent at Oshkosh. Um, and uh, as I'm sure you all are aware, EAA is rapidly approaching and uh, we're all going to be there. And so the PDC um, is our big educational learning center and professional networking tent. And essentially, we have 31 Uh, educational seminars that are scattered across uh, the entire week. The NAFI team will be there. You can meet and greet with board members. I'll be there Wednesday and Thursday. Um, And uh, we even have our NAFI member breakfast on Thursday morning at 8 a.m. So there's a ton of exciting things. Sounds like we're going to have a silent auction. We're going to have membership drawings every day. So if you join or renew... Uh, you uh, are able to uh, enter into the possibility of uh, getting some cool stuff for free. And, of course, uh, there are so many uh, sponsors and um, companies that have donated to both the tent but also um, the the auction and, and everything else that uh, it's, it's hard to mention it. The one that stands out more than any other is Hartzell Propellers. Um, Without them, we would not be able to do the NAFI PDC, and we wouldn't have been able to uh, have achieved anything. Um, they have been such a staunch report, uh, supporter of ours and, uh, have really helped us create this amazing thing. Um, and, uh, it's a benefit to not just members, but, uh, CFIs and the pilot community in general. And, uh, again, it's such a cool thing. It only happens once a year. So make sure that you come to the NAFI PDC and hopefully sign up. Um, there will be also a membership discount, so don't forget about that too. But anyways, so... We're so glad that you're here and listening, and today's presentation is going to be the FAA exam test for student or instructor. And uh, this presentation was originally a mentor live from a few years ago, and it was presented by Captain Judy Rice, uh, Hall of Fame inductee Fred Nauer, and Mike Thompson, a uh, distinguished author. Um, Someone who's also done some courses for our professional development program, which if you're not familiar with that go to the NAFI website. It's a full e-learning curriculum. And Mike has been uh, gracious enough to do that. So um, final thoughts are, if you haven't signed up uh, to be subscribed to this podcast, please do. If you haven't rated it five stars, please do. Leave a review. It helps us grow the podcast, helps us grow the membership. And uh, again, without further ado, the FAA exam test for student or instructor.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Thompson, author of Telling Is Not Teaching. Welcome to the FAA exam test for student or instructor. I'd like to introduce our other co-presenters tonight. Judy Rice is an experienced aviator and the private pilot ground school instructor at Epic Aviation in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Judy.
2: Hi, Mike. Hi, Navigator Fred. <laughs> Hello, everyone out there. Um, as Mike introduced, I'm private pilot ground instructor here at Epic Aviation. Flew with Navigator Fred's help around the world in a Citation Mustang in 2015. Uh, set me on a path and i am finally doing exactly what i wanted to do in life and that is teach students so thank you and thank you for being here everyone out there thanks judy
1: fred Nauer is an experienced cfi who has been inducted into the national flight instructor hall of fame and is the chief flight instructor at thunderbird aviation fred
3: thank you mike and uh welcome everybody to the uh, program today and uh Where it becomes even more important uh, learning all this stuff as we're going on, because I just took a five hour online course yesterday to start the process of becoming a DPE up here in Minnesota.
1: Wow. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, thank you, Judy. And thank you, Fred. And welcome again, everybody. Uh, Next slide, please.
3: So the whole process of preparing your students for the uh, for both the knowledge test and the uh, practical test starts with the Airman certification standards. The uh, Susan Parsons, another Mentor Live presenter, has an excellent program archived in the uh, in the uh, on the NAFI site, like Bob talked about at the very beginning of our program today. So I'm not going to go through into great and glorious detail about the ACS. I'm just going to hit some highlights. The first thing you want to do. Is make sure that you read the whole book, whether it's private, instrument, commercial, whichever uh, whichever student you're teaching, make sure you go through the whole book. Some of the stuff that some of the stuff's the same as was in the PTS, some things are in new spots, and there's added things that are interesting and uh, need to take a look at. One of them is that's been in the PTS and now in the ACS is a checklist to make sure that you're preparing your student. To be ready to go take the check ride. it's basically a checklist that says make sure you got all the stuff that you're supposed to bring that the examiner is going to be looking for but you also want may want to take that checklist and add to it things like for student pilots make sure that they've marked in their logbook where the long cross country is so they don't have to go hunting for it marked in their logbook where the night landings are make sure that their solo endorsement is up to date all sorts of things like that there's there's lots of things that you could think about that you could add to that checklist. The uh, new part of the Airman Certification Standards that was not in the ACS, in the uh, PTS, excuse me, but is the uh, the knowledge section in each area of operation. It's a series of objectives that uh, have been written in that that all the practical and all the knowledge test questions have been coming from. That have come from the. Uh, then they've also added a risk management portion that that uh, is the biggest upgrade to the PTS along with all the knowledge and the skills that you need to become a pilot. They're always gonna be testing ADM and SRM and PAVE and three P's and five P's and I'm safe and all that stuff that all those uh, alphabet soup things that you're gonna to have to uh, use to help your student prepare for the risk management portion. And finally, the part that everybody's familiar with the skills portion, which is the exact same standards that have been added to the PTS, that have been brought over from the PTS, we're going to explore to talk about nervous students here in a little while. But the part of the the PTS and the ACS that I always like is the, uh, the or there's a section in there that talks about unsatisfactory performance. And if you're hearing my cat in the background, I apologize. Um, the uh, the you know the there's a statement in there that says if you're if the applicant is consistently exceeding the tolerances, then they will flunk that area of operation. I always, when my student reads that, their eyes get big and as big as dinner plates. And I always say, wait a minute, wait a minute. doesn't say constantly. It says consistently. So let's flip that around. If you're consistently within the standards, you're going to do okay. You get 150 feet off and it's only supposed to be 100. Don't stay 150 feet off for the rest of the flight. Fix it and you're gonna be okay. Next slide.
2: Judy. Minimum required ground instruction. This is much harder than I thought. How many of us hear it at least once, maybe twice, maybe more from each of our students? Regardless of their age, regardless of their learner type. Now where I flight instruct I have the luxury and the opportunity of 100 hours built into a ground instruction. That's a luxury. I have had 35 hours, the minimum. What it allows me is to help these students understand not only the knowledge, how to study, what's required to study, prioritize their lives, how to use... It's a textbook, all these basic skills that many students have no idea. They've never been taught. They've never had to really focus and study. This is regardless of the age, regardless of the background. Now, instructors limited with a minimum of 35 hours, you don't have the luxury to teach the study habits, the prioritizing, you're struggling to get through the content. Again, regardless of the learner, regardless of the age, if your student is performing poorly, it is likely one of these issues. The answer, these students are just going to continue to struggle. Taking the time to help them understand how to be successful will help you be successful and help your students be successful. Fred?
3: As uh, Susan Parsons says in her presentation, the uh, FAA has been working very, very hard to make sure that the questions that are in the knowledge test now are more relevant and up to date and that the calculations are short enough that you can actually get them finished in the time allotted. The question bank is changing almost on a monthly basis. Officially the FAA wants you you and your student to use the knowledge objectives in the ACS and the listed reference materials in the in the acs to focus on the training and studying to get all the information needed to be a good pilot in reality and this is from a very unscientific uh, survey that I did at my own flight school most still students still figure out a way using uh to uh, figure out a way to find the question and answer setup so that it allowed them to just memorize the answers but every software designer, every publisher says in their introductory materials that they endorse the official FAA stance on, learn, on learning the material. They all mention that they are constantly updating the materials to make sure that, they're, that they have the latest subjects. But especially with the printed materials, the changes can only come from their online sources. They have various guarantees for success, but if you read between the lines, you can still use these sources and memorize the answers. Judy.
2: When a student does not pass the FA exam, and I'm there to be their cheerleader, encourage them on, and they say to me and look at me very seriously, oh, one question I recognized, I go, oh. <laughs> you know, how many times they say you can't memorize? <laughs> you know, published material has a place in teaching students. Not not teaching to the test, you still teach the knowledge, but how to take a test. Again, we're talking skills, how to understand how the FA is going to ask question, how those answers are worded. I really, really urge a student, read the question carefully. Do not touch that keyboard. Read the question carefully. Read every single answer. Do not touch that keyboard read the question again then answer sometimes students go back they change an answer mark the answer go back answer it teaching the knowledge then using the published materials for learners to know how to take an exam and how to take an faa exam knowledge and taking an exam are two different types of skill sets fred if i can
1: hop in that is an excellent point those are two different skill sets
3: so here's the uh information about nervous students the uh the the uh students are nervous when they don't know what's going to happen so that's what judy was talking about make sure that you're using the printed materials to show them how the fa asks questions because you can have all the knowledge in the world but if you don't know how the fa asked the question then it's then that that makes for anxious times. But if you follow the recommendations we have put forth here, they will be better prepared and much less nervous. Plus, as we mentioned earlier, emphasize the positive. In the appendix five of the ACS about unsatisfactory performance, remind them that if they're for the skills side. If they're consistently within the standards, they're probably going to be doing okay. Judy,
2: continuing on with nervous students. Again, fear of the unknown, as Fred said, is Mike uh, targeted it on. Uh, private pilot level, especially, there is a fear on taking the FAA exam. Fear of the unknown. Students, they just don't know what to expect until they at least take one exam. Uh, students gain confidence by practice exams. There is a place for practice exams and published materials. That also gives you the opportunity when your student does not do well, or even when they do well, to review the PLT codes on the practice exams with the students in their weak areas. I also take students to our testing center before they take an exam so they know what to expect. Again, private pilots, they have no idea what to expect. I explain how to use a test supplement book Uh, You hand a student a test supplement book and for the first time they're going into the exam, all of a sudden they're in a different environment, they see all these cameras, they see a test supplement book, their brains melt. So fear the unknown, alleviate as many unknowns and it will really help nervous students. On to language barriers. Very first day for students, introduce aviation terms. Continue to introduce aviation terms every day. Build on the base of knowledge. Review yesterday's terms and continue reviewing. Um, English as a second language, additional challenge. Uh, you know, not only are they struggling with English at times, complex English. Uh, then you add aviation terminology. You use the word use of words of FAA that is not what they're used to as far as English, add weather language. The answer, speak clearly, enunciate, no slang, repetition, 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 visual, words on the screen, what it means, and encouragement, references, homework, practice exams. Fred?
3: And moving from the knowledge test into the uh, the practical test, the uh, as you all know, the uh, all you CFIs know, you must review the areas found deficient on the knowledge test to help prepare them for the ground portion of the practical test. The uh, copy of the student's knowledge test, the results, they'll go through. I make sure that I go through every one. Eventually, they're going to be able to be the same numbers that are in the ACS. Right now, there's still uh, some of the tests are still hanging on to the old uh, PLT numbers, so you have to make sure that you have that list handy. But make sure that you go through all the stuff. I, you know, I was I had a CFI student. We talked about things and airplane stuff for months and months. And so when she got her practical or knowledge test back, I said we've covered all this stuff. So I gave her the endorsement that we've covered all the areas found deficient. When she got to her check ride, the examiner looked at it and said. So you and Fred talked about this helicopter stuff that you got wrong. It was a uh, you know one of those, the CFI tests. sometimes the questions get a little bit mixed up, even though she was an airplane person, she got helicopter questions and we didn't notice that. So ever since then, I look at the knowledge test report and I make sure that I go through every subject area to make sure that all the areas have been covered.
1: You know, Fred, that's really funny. I uh, have a trick question that I use with my CFIs Um, And I ask him, what's the minimum test score for an FAA written test? And, of course, the answer is 70%. And, uh, of course, it's a trick question. And I tell him, no, it's really 100. Because if you look in that endorsement 6139, right, by the time we review everything, uh, it's more comforting to my mother, who knows nothing about aviation, to find out that the real passing score is 100, not 70. <laughs> uh, we've got a, a good question here from uh, Gary. Uh, let me scroll up a little bit. Uh, Gary was just asking, um, what do you advise for experienced pilots who are approached by active s- students about tests and test procedures? What do you advise for experienced pilots who are approached by active students about tests and test procedures?
3: Hmm. I mean, I would always be, I would think it would be able to be good to give the uh, this active student your experience about the ty- types the tests that you've taken and what's, what happened, what are the good things and bad things that you've experienced both from the knowledge test side and the practical test side? just to be able to have the uh give the student a few more uh pieces of information about the whole pro- how the whole process works
2: and oh. i also when students at, are very nervous and ask me how i made it through all the exams and check rides and everything and everyone knows i'm la- a number challenge you know i might as well be looking at a 1 or a 3 and i haven't a clue so they, they look at me and they say oh my gosh you know you're a hero you know you flew around the world how did you make it through and i'd say you know i can't do numbers it was a lot of work what i try and do is i try and bring it down so that you know i did it you can do it and students go wow
1: yeah yeah excellent thank thank you judy um fred and gary for that question uh fred here's another one i think this might head in your direction this is from dylan what are your thoughts on how long a cfi initial should last dylan says mine was 7.5 hours with two 10-minute breaks in my opinion if an faa inspector wants to be ultra thorough it should be a two-day event any any thoughts on duration length of that test
3: the uh as a Chief Flight Instructor, I give, uh, we have examining authority for private and instrument. It's one of those things where, especially with the ACS process now where they only have to ask those areas that are required, like especially for the CFI, there's certain things they must ask and then maybe one other subject area. So unlike the old PTS area where you had to go through every subject, every task under every uh, area of operation. That tended to make things longer. Nowadays, when for my private pilot students, if I ask them a question under a certain area of operation and they give me the answer, and I could tell that they've been studying that information, and that information is very, very has been studied very, very well, then I'll move on to something else, concentrating on those things that will make them to be, uh, you know, give them knowledge about what they need to do to be maintain uh, their currency, maintain their ability to be a safe pilot and uh, what they can and cannot do for whatever uh, whatever uh, certificate or rating that they're they're going for. I was the same way. My CFI took uh, all day long between the flight and the ground portion. I, m- I must have been there from like seven in the morning and I think I got home about eight o'clock at night.
1: And apparently they did something right if you ended up in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Judy, here's one for you. This comes from Bjorn. Bjorn's from Germany. Bjorn says, as a German, I was really weary about, maybe it's worried, but it says weary or maybe worried about radio calls for the first two months of his flying. Uh, He agrees with the fact that uh, practice is the key to overcoming anxiety. Any other advice for Bjorn?
2: Uh, There are a lot of online programs also that students can listen to for ATC. Look in the mirror. Practice. Uh, Don't be shy on the radio. Uh, I encourage my students, the most important thing is to be safe. You know, you you will get the process, you know, and I run through each step of what a student needs to say. You know, it's not that hard. It's not that complicated. Relax. So listen to ATC online. Look in the mirror. Practice. Uh, don't be shy.
3: And when it's and when it's time, when you're actually in the airplane and it's time to make a radio call, then especially for the ones that you're initiating, either say it out loud to yourself and then key the mic and say exactly the same thing. I always, when I'm starting with brand new students, I have them say, "What are you going to say?" and have them say it to yeah. me over say it to me over the intercom, and I say, "Okay, key the mic and say the same thing." And now they already they've already rehearsed it and it's ready to go.
2: Mm-hmm. Chair fly. I mean exactly. you know your' chair flying your maneuvers. Chair fly, your communication even before you get in the airplane, but yeah, saying it back before you even push the mic.
1: So listen, before we wrap up this slide on retakes because we still have to talk about retakes, uh, there's another great question that's popped up here. Uh, boy, we love this participation and the interactiveness of Mentor Live. Uh, and I'm not sure this would go to either one of you, Judy or Fred. This is from Ron. Ron says, You've mentioned several times a minimum ground training time of 35 hours. Uh, now, we know this is this 35 hours comes from the appendix in 141, and there is no such thing under part 61. Um, he's hoping that maybe one of you could just reiterate or kind of clarify that point a little.
3: That's, that's correct the 35 hours that we that uh, we've been talking about here are what was what part 141 requires that the, the minimum time for the that the ground school is for the uh, for those schools that are going to become uh, part 141 training centers and so they they have to uh, arrange their and ground school so that it meets that that time frame and so thus in our school we use the uh, Jefferson online course and the the same Jefferson subject areas for for our ground school. And they, Jefferson has the thing set up so that you can get the thing done, all the subject areas talked about in exactly 35 hours. It's, but like Judy mentioned earlier, it's really hard to, especially for people who are brand new to this aviation business, to be able to grasp all the information that they need in that 35 hour time. That's why she has the luxury in her course of being able to go to a hundred hours because Most of her, all the people she's training are English as a second language.
2: Yes. And ours is a 141, and I am still allotted 100 hours to teach private pilots. So Mike and I have both been at a 141 that it was 35 hours. That's it. You're done with them. That's rough. You know, that is rough to get all the content in and it's rough to help these students understand what it's really going to require. Again, domestic students, it's not just uh, second language students or different cultures. Domestic students struggle with the 35 hours. They struggle with the study habits. (laughs) There's our mascot. (laughs) uh, So very good point, Ron. It is a 141, but it really depends on the 141, even at that. Uh, Some of them, they really stick to 35 hours. You're going to struggle. You know, you just don't have time. It it sounds like you both work
1: at schools that um, are very interested in student learning and not just minimum requirements. So let's wrap this slide up, Judy, with retakes.
2: Ah, very good. Let's wrap up this slide and this flight. Retakes can be traumatic and can be embarrassing for students. Um, Our school waits for the following day to review PLT codes, helping the student understand their weak areas, give them a night to take a deep breath. We assign homework, we have uh, volunteer flight instructors working to help rebuild the confidence of these students. Uh, Practice exams, it is really a confidence in the student, uh, not just the weak areas. Sometimes the student had to read the question carefully. Sometimes the student went back and changed the answers. Uh, sometimes they didn't understand what was being asked. So, helping the student understand where they faltered and getting the confidence to go back into it. Fred, next slide.
3: So this is where if you've used the uh, FAA recommended study process, your students will have no problem with the ground portion of the practical test. They're, if they use the rote memorization, and uh, then it's going to take a while to be, be able to make sure that they get all the knowledge that they need in order to be able to uh, answer the questions as part of as the ground portion of the practical test. Like that first uh, bullet point says there, you have to realize when you're teaching people to be pilots, that it's not like high school algebra where when you get done with the class, you ram-dump the information because you know you're never gonna use that information again in your life as far as algebra is, algebra is concerned. And for you math teachers out there, I apologize. And, uh, but, for, but for pilots, the information that we're, we're teaching them and they need to know and they have to be able to talk about during the practical test is stuff that they're gonna have to remember and apply their entire flying career. There are printed materials out there that you can use in order to be able to help them uh, get ready for the uh practical tests. But unlike the uh the the knowledge test stuff where they could possibly memorize the answers, the uh the examiner is not, not gonna sit there with the same blue book and ask the questions exactly the same way that the uh that the printed materials have. So you be have to make sure that the student has the ability to be able to uh know the information well enough to be able to answer the question no matter how it's asked uh, in the part 141 world it really helps out because the students have been through at least three stage checks before they get to the end of course and even the uh, practical test at the end so that they've been asked questions from very hopefully from various people and they so they've seen different ways of people asking questions and so they can understand how The information is going to be presented and how the questions are going to come and it's not going to be exactly like the book. This is also where the skills portion of the uh, ACS comes in. Not only do they need to know the knowledge that uh, that we've been talking about, but they have to be able to fly the airplane to the uh, standards listed listed in the ACS. Uh, So review with your student about the using the ACS portion of of the uh, book. From right there in the beginning, it'll explain exactly how the whole process is going to work during the uh, practical test. It uh, it's, that holds everything we've been talking about here is reiterated in those pages. Back in the appendix section is the stuff that used to be in the front of the uh, PTS. The uh, before they take the knowledge test, review appendix one and two. It talks about how the knowledge test is built, how the uh, information is put together and uh, the information about the retakes and stuff that we just already mentioned the uh before they take the practical test review appendix five there's a whole section in there about how what is satisfactory performance what is unsatisfactory performance they'll be able to understand what's expected of them and definitely 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 go to appendix six which is the uh, safety of flight portion because just like the old pts even though these things may not be specifically mentioned under an area of operation or under a specific task, if they uh, if they don't follow the safety of flight uh, recommendations in the appendix in the six, they can still have problems passing their practical test. One of them is as simple as transferring control of the airplane in in the uh, stage checks and stuff that I do. If one of the first things, one of the first chances you have for exchanging flight controls is the brake check. And so the kid does his brake check and says, you want to check the brakes? And I say, okay. And then I see what happens. About five times out of ten, the kid will just let go, expecting me to bring, put my feet on the brakes and stop the airplane. Being safe, I'll just let the airplane roll for a bit. If it's going to, be, if it's going to get in somebody's way, I'll, then I'll step on the brakes and I say, now, how are you supposed to really do that, and you know, so just make sure that you review all that safety of flight stuff before they go to the practical test. Like we talked about earlier, read the ACS yourself as an instructor, so you're able to explain this stuff, be able to put it in your own words, exactly all the stuff that's going to be required for your student to be able to pass the practical test. Next slide.
1: So. Um- this might be a good time to uh, toss in a couple of additional questions. Uh, John is asking, uh, how do you onboard a new student that's returning to flying? They lost their initial instructor to the airlines. So what would be the best way to measure their knowledge and their experience, et cetera?
2: Do you wanna say how you do it, Fred, and I'll fill in?
3: Okay. The um The uh, for yeah, for bringing on a new student who's been with another instructor. Um, maybe the easiest thing is just, uh, you know, if, depending on what syllabus you're using, there's usually always a stage check or two in there and using the information in the stage of training that they feel they are. Use the, uh, the, the questions and the subject areas that are in the, that stage check. To see what they're doing i you know there's part one for in part 141 schools it's exactly the same thing it, we're you know there's a possibility that we could give them credit for previous training towards the 141 hours that are required for each of the uh each of the certificates and ratings that we're going for so what i usually do is have them continue training with a new instructor and then when it gets to the point where it's time for a stage check then I'll go through the, uh, the stage check information to see exactly where they are in their training and know from that information there where they need to, where, where their deficiencies are, where they're good at and where they need to move on to be able to successfully complete the program. Right,
2: right, right.
1: Judy, you had some thoughts to
2: add. Evaluate, evaluate their knowledge. Uh, evaluate their skill level exactly like Fred recommended and there's all different types of uh, return students, transfer students, there's not going to be one alike just like a landing you know and you just work with each one and help each one be successful at whatever level they came to you at.
1: So here's a question for both of you. Um, I don't know which one wants to field this first. This comes from Gary. What in your view is the best published syllabus and how do you feel about uh simulators or where do simulators fit in
2: i'm not going to address the published material and get us <laughs> in some trouble
1: yeah, I, a little dicey. I don't know uh,
3: i want to move the, on uh, from that uh, one
1: but but <laughs>
2: you know
3: published materials it, it's just it as 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 all flight instructors know the best you know, I've never had an original idea in my head. Judy thinks I'm the world's greatest flight instructor, but that's just because I've, I've gleaned information from people who taught me, and I've gleaned information from things that I read. So if you're looking for a syllabus, either look around at the various, uh, go, to, go to an air show, go to Oshkosh, and mm-hmm. walk, around the warehouse, walk around all those warehouses out there, all those hangars, and take a look at all the various publications, open them up and look at them yourself. See which ones talk to you. Sometimes I use stuff that uh, Rob Machado writes because he, he his, elect, his description of the electrical system using a water thing is absolutely amazing. I've used that for years and years, and it's, it really, really helps for people who say, "I can't do electricity." I said, "Well, let's not talk about electricity. Let's talk about water, and then at the end of it, they know electricity. Uh, you know, so look at find the stuff that works for you. Uh, borrow not steal. Borrow, hey, borrow borrow things that work put things together that that work for you, and if it doesn't work for your student, then start looking again and see if you can find something that that works for them.
1: Yeah. Buy, borrow, or build. So you're going to purchase and... it, or you're going to borrow it, which means we're going to steal it from each other, not literally steal it from each other, but, you know, with with permission. Um, or right. you build it yourself, right, Judy?
2: Yes, and copy is a compliment. But anyway, um, (laughs) Fred, you really hit the key. And just like there's a good instructor for everyone, they could be the best instructor, but it it might not work for you. Uh, There is a good book for everyone. Uh, I teach from three major textbooks. I put them together and all three work for me. I had one book when I was a student that worked for me, other ones didn't so there's going to be a book that works for you or books that work for you, and you put them together or borrow
1: and Where do simulators fit into all of this as
3: far as as far as uh, simulators especially the, uh, the the new ones with the uh the, with the more realistic pictures so that you can actually so that the brand new student pilots are actually looking out the window and seeing stuff as they're flying around, those those things can be uh, absolutely wonderful for the for the instrument students. You know, you, you put them in the clouds and so so the uh, so that they're learning. But the main thing that simulators do, whether it's a student pilot going for their private or a private pilot going for their instrument, is learning uh, procedures. Sit down there, and hopefully it's as close to the real airplane that they're flying as as you can get it, so that you can so that they're doing the checklist, they're making the radio calls, they're they're you know they're you don't have to actually you know they take off and fly around too, but the main thing is getting the procedures down. When do you do this checklist? Where do you you know how do you what what is the process for doing it? And just like we just like they did in the uh, when I was in the Air Force flying backseat in the F4, the simulator is a wonderful thing for doing all sorts of the simulating of the emergencies. the things that you can't do in the airplane like catching the thing on fire or you know and those types of emergencies that are talked about, but in the simulator you can actually work through the process and see can you get the checklist done before the airplane meets the ground. So mm-hmm. simulators have an have a excellent place in, uh, in flight training at all
1: levels.
2: Well, going back to nervous students, uh, it takes the anxiousness and the unknown out of a maneuver. A uh, private pilot that's never been in it, we start them in simulators. It really takes the anxious moments, and then they get in the airplane, and they're more comfortable. It takes the pressure off, and definitely on communication. You know, it takes the pressure off. Absolutely. I'd like to... That we had one comment, I missed who it was from, Mike, you might be able to grab it about how they do uh, ATC communications. Definitely we use that process of we have out on the ramp uh, traffic pattern. And students walk the traffic pattern and we have them talk the ATC communication. And we'll have yeah, one student be an air traffic controller
1: yeah i was just going to add that comment in judy you saw the same one i did from david it was excellent uh and we probably a lot of us have probably done this david said he lays out a traffic pattern in the parking lot Talk yeah. about a low-tech inexpensive simulator the students actually walk the pattern in the parking lot And as judy mentioned we just painted the New Smyrna Beach airport diagram on the ramp and have the students walk the airport diagram. So so that's pretty cool. We've got a And, a, a, and the a, other thing that
3: works right? in that situation is you can go now where's the wind coming from yeah, as you're walking, walking around back. the traffic pattern. Where's the wind hitting? Yeah. And how and then, are you going to fly the airplane to adjust for that?
1: They'll they'll twist their hips as they have to walk down <laughs> the crab angle. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we're gonna come back to some great questions. Judy, tell us a little bit about learning styles and cultures.
2: Understanding six success characteristics. That's like saying rubber baby buggy bumpers. Six (laughs) success characteristics, regardless of the learner. Understanding these characteristics will help flight instructors immensely. This is from a 20-year study by Raskin, Goldberg, Higgins, and Herman. And what it revealed, these six characteristics, when learners have all six of these, or the majority of these, they learn appropriately. The first one, self-awareness. This is a student that recognizes their talents along with accepting their limitations. Proactivity. This is a student that understands that they have control over the destiny and their outcome. Many students, doesn't matter their age, do not understand that. These students also accept responsibility for their actions and their outcomes. Perseverance, this is an important one. Fred and I know this one. Perseverance on a chosen path despite the difficulties. These students describe themselves as I'm not a quitter. To clarify this statement, you don't quit your goal. You change the way you go about achieving that goal. These students are able to modify the path to reach their goal. Then, while we're talking about goal, the fourth one is goal setting. Students really need a strategy to reach a goal, a step-by-step process to obtain these goals. And then you go down to perseverance or up to perseverance. You can't reach that goal. Okay, let's modify the path. Five and six I'm gonna to put together. Guidance, support, encouragement. It is the emotional and the support system. Can be friends, can be family members, mentors, youth flight instructors, co-workers. These are the cheerleaders when things are not quite going right. Helping your students recognize one or more of these characteristics, what they have, what they need to build on, will help you and your students' success building a relationship with your student will increase your success in your students relationships
1: are the key judy
2: relationships here's a great key. question.
1: yeah absolutely
2: here's they're a great
1: question from peter um and this is relating to evaluating students but doing it in a scenario base peter says i was curious to see if the presenters had." Have any recommendations on how to conduct an evaluation of a student in a scenario-based manner while still covering the subject matter thoroughly without just firing questions at them
3: what i do is as part of the, they've planned across country for the for the private pilot check ride they've planned across country and you know of course the nice thing about me is that most of them you know all the students i've been seeing i've been seeing various times throughout their flying career, so I know they know how to plan across country already. And so I don't go into what's this number, how do you get that, where do the winds come from, all that type of thing. But I'll look at it and I'll say, okay, you've planned this flight. Now there's a, a fire in Saskatchewan and there's smoke all over Minnesota and the visibility is two miles. As a private pilot, can you fly this flight with two miles visibility? So there's airspace questions. Can they get out of D? Where do they have to fly if it's only two miles visibility? What altitudes do they have to fly? How can they look at the sectional chart and look at the numbers on the chart and figure out, oh, there's a tower here. How can I figure out what the altitude of the ground is underneath that tower? What's that black dot with a number next to it mean? Can you get into a class E airspace to the surface with, a, you know, with two miles visibility? So there's all sorts of, uh, you know, correlation going on here to use the cfi terms that are that connected to this scenario of just flying across country throwing in an extra piece and then using all that information using all the stuff that's right there in front of you that you're going to you know that back in the pts days you say what kind of airspace is this what's the vfr weather can you get in and out of here with two miles visibility instead of asking each individual question like that you're looking at the whole thing as as part of a, a scenario for going cross country.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great response, Fred. Thanks. And I, I'm sure Peter will find that helpful. Um I think a little bit of that comes just from experience and the ability then to break down what a situation requires and then just getting creative to build a scenario uh to address it. So just, just the way you've described, that's great. Uh, can we have the next slide, please? Um, In this slide, uh, we're talking about working with international students and and what the differences might be. Um, In truth, the differences are mostly in our imagination. Uh, Very much of what we do with international students is exactly the same thing we do with with domestic students. Uh, Chapter seven in the uh, Aviation Instructors Handbook doesn't change. We have the same responsibilities to help them learn, provide adequate instruction, uh, adhere to standards, stay positive as as both of you had mentioned earlier in this presentation, ensure their safety. So that doesn't change uh, if they're from a foreign country. (coughs) Chapter three three talks about communication. That all still applies. Um, Lack of common experience being the Uh, the primary barrier to good communication, that applies to an international student as well as domestic. Object and symbol confusion, use of abstractions. So that all still applies. Um, One thing I would suggest with international students, however, I suggest this with domestic students as well. Fred, you touched on this earlier. Make sure they know the ACS thoroughly. But I suggest delaying the introduction of it so as they begin their flying it's one less thing to put pressure on them early and they focus on good flying skills good judgment skills a calm safe situation we focus on being a competent and safe pilot and then as they proceed um, make sure as fred was talking about earlier they know that uh, that ACS thoroughly before the check ride. and let's jump to the next slide quickly um, a couple of things that'll help with international students um, sharing a common goal this again works uh, just as well with domestic students but keeping a focus on that common goal um, I I find in my experience with international students, helps calm them because it's one less thing to worry about. There's a sentence here that I've quoted that I hear all too often and it says, you have to fly this just well enough to get by the examiner or learn this just well enough to get by the test. And when I hear that, I talk to my flight instructors and my students about moving that period. And I said, let's take the period in that sentence and put it after the word by. You have to fly this just well enough to get by. How does that sound? You know, And of course, they respond, well, no, that's crazy. We don't fly just well enough to get by. We, and I say, that's exactly the point. So we're not flying it for the test. As both of you had mentioned earlier, we're not teaching the test. The test, the practical test, the written test, the oral examinations, the stage checks, are snapshots along the way to that competence and safety. So I try to reinforce the two main reasons for assessment. We do assessment to see if you're learning and really to help you learn more and of course to credential. So what really is different with international students? Not a lot, but two things jump out. Captain Judy, you've already mentioned both of them, but let me just touch on them from my perspective, Um, being culturally aware. And that's not hard to do, Um, especially, you know, in this day and age of Google. It's it's not too tough to find um, information about the culture that your student's coming from and accepting that student for who they are in the culture they're from. Uh, An example is uh, Ramadan just recently ended. We had many Middle Eastern students that observed uh, that religion. And during the day last month, some of them were uh, uh, not feeling 100%. Well, of course, they fast between sunrise and sunset during that portion of their calendar. So a little cultural sensitivity says, okay, so we need to adjust uh, slightly for things like that. The other one is the use of language. And, Judy, you talked about this. Um, The old joke that I love is, of course, we talk. Louder and slower. <laughs> that way, I'll be sure they understood me. Uh, you know, we're all guilty of it. It's kind of funny. Uh, it really does not work. Uh, but what does work is what Captain Judy mentioned: enunciate and slow down slightly. I don't know how many of us um, are are multilingual. But when you're just getting into a new language, if those native speakers slow down slightly, like I'm doing right now, it helps a lot. You don't have to slow down a lot, uh, but that, uh, but that hundred, uh, that hundred percent, you know, pace speed, um, uh, that's a little fast for the ear until you get uh, fluent. And then the other one is. Um, being conscious of, of slang words and new words. Let me give an example. Uh, say to a student, uh, an international student, okay, before we head out, we're gonna check for thunder boomers. Before we head out, what does that mean? Before we take this flight. Okay, so you know we might say, before we head out, before we head out, and what are thunder boomers that we're checking for? Okay, so little things like that. So instead, maybe we'll say, well, we'll check for convective segments. Now, that should be a red flag. I'm not happy to say, I know many native English speakers who can't define the word convective. <laughs> All right, fair enough. What, what is convection? What does that mean? What is convective? Okay, sigmet. Well, once you learn what it means, it, it makes perfect sense. Sig is not a cigarette. It's significant. Now, if English is not your first language, you might not know the word significant, but you know what important means, okay? And met meteorology. Well, again, meteorology, you might not know that one. Well, you know weather, climate, okay, the study of the atmosphere, that's meteorology. Significant meteorology. SIGMET, significant meteorology that moves vertically. I got it. What is that? It's a thunderstorm. So little things like that I found um, are really helpful when we're working with international students. Um, You guys, uh, we've got a little bit of time here to catch just a few more questions. Uh, Bjorn came back with an interesting comment. He says, with a new, and I think he means new pilot or a newbie or a, 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 a young or low time pilot, you get a great chance to see the same stuff from a different angle. We very much agree with doing a mock check ride, uh, not with your regular CFI. Yeah, so that lends a good perspective. Fred's nodding, I think he agrees there. Yes. Um, And Ron says, uh, be sure to credit the person that you quote unquote borrowed from. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to skip over that too quickly. We say buy, borrow, or build. And when we mean borrow, we mean you know, we we, we, <laughs> we take things from each other with permission. And Ron says, don't forget, even though you have permission, please credit that person. Absolutely. Um, here's a question. Peter asks, again, I was curious to see if the presenters have any recommendations on how to conduct an evaluation of a, a student in a, oh, wait a minute, scenario-based maneuver while still covering the subject manner thoroughly. Okay, yeah, we we hit that one, Peter. I hope that helped you. Uh, William says, I appreciate Judy's statement about teaching her course in 100 hours versus 35. So, Judy, this is for you. In your opinion, how can I best pitch this concept of longer courses to an employer who prefers accelerated courses?
2: Well, it's all about money. I mean, you know, it's gonna cost a whole lot more money. So prove the success rates, you know, prove that there is gonna be a higher quality student. You're gonna actually, in the long run, I actually tracked and did a study on the success rate we have with students with the time and the mentoring that we give our students when they complete the ground school and they successfully pass the written. It's because we have the luxury to actually have that much time with a student. The numbers talk. So give your employer the numbers. It doesn't take much to Google the numbers on the time. Uh, Start tracking the success rates of, let's just say private pilot in 35 hours. You know, what is your success rate on, and how long does it take that student to finish the written? In a 35 hour ground school at a private pilot, most likely your students are reaching into course and they haven't done their FA written and they're stuck. So talk the numbers.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, thanks Judy. Uh, Bjorn follows up, he says he entirely disagrees with having religious practices compromise aviation safety. Uh, Bjorn, I'm sorry if I was a little confusing there. Um, I think we all agree with you Uh, we would not have anyone's religious practice compromise aviation safety Uh, so we support you there we're absolutely in agreement i was just trying to come up with a uh, quick example to talk about um, how we might be culturally sensitive but uh, at no time would we compromise aviation safety here's a question from mohammed If the practical test is being conducted by a DPE located at an airport away from the home based airport, uh, where you conduct your training, do you recommend being with the student during the test or sending them off alone? Brad, I think that it really
3: depends on the student. If they've never been to that airport before, it might be worth your while to fly with them to that place, so that that you can help them navigate to there, figure out the traffic pattern, help them get the uh, get to the taxi to where they're going. If you know whether you do that as the, on the day of the check ride, or before beforehand, just as a uh, practice for getting there, so they get an idea of what the uh, what the uh, new, new and different airport is like. That would probably be helpful. I have sat in on my one or just one or two of my students' check rides, and it's. I tell you, it's the most painful thing in the world to sit there in the back of the room and listen to the kid, especially when they start going off on some wrong tangent someplace, and you just want to jump up and scream at him But um, so. Sitting in the sitting in the room while they're doing the check ride might be problematic for you and your heart. But, uh, you know, as far as sending them off to a different airport, don't don't let it be the first time they've ever been there. Even if you have, even if it's just one of your normal lessons as part of the process, fly with them to the different airport.
2: Fear of the unknown. I mean, it's a stressful day for them. And now you add an unknown. Take that at least one of those stresses out. Uh, very well said, Fred.
1: Um, and so I, I seem to have raised uh, some concern when I made my comment about Ramadan, or and it wasn't about Ramadan. I was just trying to come up with a suggestion of being culturally sensitive. But here's a really good response. Uh, so do you move Muslim students to a night schedule? And that's a good question. And I'll tell you what we have done. Yes, we have flown them earlier or later in the day in respect for their culture, and at the same time have counsel them about the fact that they're moving into uh, aviation as a career. And so, you know, whatever airline may ultimately hire them, uh, they're going to have to talk to that airline and that HR department. And, of course, you know, you decide with your employer how you're going to work that out. So we make it clear to them that in the world of aviation, yeah, you're going to work these things out with HR wherever you work. Um, But do we move them later or earlier in the day? Yeah, sure we do. Sure we do. Uh, any other really good questions out there? That seems to be. Wait a minute. Ah, any good <laughs> any good one-liners for keeping young eagles interested in learning to fly? That's a good one
2: for both of you. It is because Fred and I started almost at. together with the Young Eagles program. So it takes us back full circle. Uh, One-liners. I can do it. You can do it. Uh, You take that child up or that young person up, their eyes get big and they cannot almost, they can't resist wanting to touch the controls. Uh, It is, in my opinion, your responsibility to help carry that interest through.
3: Yeah, the, 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 the the Young Flyers program that uh, Judy and I started, well, Judy started and I helped, because, and many, many years ago is still going on. We got, uh, we're just finishing up the first week of the summer program at Thunderbird Aviation. And the, 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 the thing that helps from a Young Eagles perspective or the, the uh, program that we have, is try to keep track of who they are, where they are, try to invite them back as often as you have a Young Eagles rally. So the more experience they get, the more chances they have to fly, the more they're going to think that this is something that they can really do in their life.